Hey, by the way, have you heard about Anchor? It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me tell you, let me explain. Let me tell you how it works. There's a creation tool that allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast directly. It'll be heard on Spotify, Apple, and just about every other platform out there. So it's very, very easy to use, very user-friendly. And best of all, it lets you monetize that. So everything you need is all in one place. All you have to do is download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Welcome to Battleground. Today is Friday, July 17th, and what a show. We have some great guests. We're going to be touching stuff that nobody else is willing to touch. And to kick off the show today, we have the great Gonzalo Barca. Gonzalo is the um, lead anchor for Foro Interamericano on Voice of America. Uh, has a great, great journalistic uh, trajectory. Univision, BBC, et cetera, et cetera. He's a real journalist, by the way. Um, not one of those activists with a press pass like uh, like, like so many, like our friend Jim Acosta, Wolf, et cetera, all the fake news at CNN. Gonzalo, welcome to the show. It's always a pleasure to have you here. I can't wait to, um, to touch some of these issues, hot button issues, um, as you know they are. Yes, thank you for having me. <laughs> Ivan, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Absolutely. So let's kick it off. Let's start off right now with the flamethrower. Let's throw a couple of Molotov bombs and let's kick it off. Latin America, globally, the world, what we are experiencing, people do not understand that this is a Marxist movement, a global, well-organized, well-financed Marxist movement to take down Donald yes. Trump, and the United States government as we know it. We'll put that on the side for a second to go directly into Latin America and why that's important because it's not touched by the press. People don't understand what's going on down there and how that is affecting us down here. So Gonzalo, talk to us about Latin America, George Soros, et cetera. You know the story better than anybody in the world. How many viewers do you have? Like 65 million viewers. I don't think anybody can say that. Not even <laughs> CNN, not even counting all the hotel lobbies and airports. They'll never get there. Gonzalo, it's all yours. Kick it off, please. Thank you. Thank you. You know, we're really, uh, United States is uh, battling against uh, the evil, actually, because in Latin America, the um, unfortunately, we have still communists out there all over the place. There are two, three big players, Russia, China, Iran, Look at, look at the actors there. Three really bad actors that what they want in this uh, destabilized the region. Now, they did not, and I, I have to say this again, they did not expect Donald Trump uh, to do such as a really a strong policy, well-focused on Latin America. So they are scared. And because they are scared now, they're putting all the resources in the destabilizing the region. Now, how do they do that? Well, they pretty much take the uh, the flag of um, the um, what, uh, what do you call uh, environmental is very important for them and energy, green energy. That's the whole thing they want. And George Soros obviously finances the thing. Russia giving all the money, China as well. So the what what's what's is is interesting here is that uh, this is a deja vu. We saw this in the 70s, 
and um, and then you know Ronald Reagan came to power and the whole thing was pretty much and stable for a while. Yeah. Yes, and then yep. we thought we thought that the left was pretty much destroyed. Yep. No, it was not. All of a sudden, they become with the oh yes, you know, environmental thing. Okay, we understand this very important. However, and they're, and they're uh, playing big on the identity politics, right? On the LGBTQ, on separate, on going on going after traditional family values, the church ideology, exactly. all that, right? Exactly, exactly. So all of a sudden, they know how to they know how to work Latin America because unfortunately, the, in Latin America, we do not have families or or uh, foundation that we do focus on democracy but we do not give them the resources you know to consolidate that while you know George Soros hello China Russia giving them Venezuela for example with Chavez giving all this money to all these organizations so obviously they pretty much it, it is overwhelming what's happening there so in every for example during Chavez I remember that during the Chavez um, uh, period, yeah. Yeah. yes, um, he was pretty much giving money away to every single country in Latin America. Remember when he paid off? Chavistas. Yeah, remember when he paid off Argentina's debt to the IMF? Would you believe that? I mean, it's just amazing. <laughs> so tell me, that was insane. What foundation right now in Latin America can't do that? No. So really, we are, we are in disadvantage right now, so, but we have to do it. Now, it is obviously an uh, ideological point because in Latin America, we understand inequality has been there for a while. Inequality well, and they also, it's also important to, 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 to make, take notice that they're also in combination with the cartels. Right, mm -hmm. and that is unlimited. That's very important. in Venezuela. Venezuela is a criminal organization, a criminal country. Uh, yes. the Cartel de los Soles is running wild there, financing all these uprisings in Ecuador, Colombia, Peru, Chile, etc. Absolutely. Right? Uh, uh, even even some of the stuff that we saw spill here with Black Lives Matter, we know that there are people from Nicaragua, from Cuba, from Venezuela on the streets of the U.S. Financed but, by Cartel de los Soles, financed by George Soros. That's not being said in the press. That's, that is a disgrace. It's, it's a shame, yes. and it's an embarrassment to U.S. journalism for not wanting to touch that. But, Gonzalo, why yes. is it so important for, for this global Marxist movement to take down Latin America? How does that impact the U.S.? Oh, yeah, well, absolutely. They know that the... Uh... Uh, the region, the Western Hemisphere, is very important for the United States. We do have, you know, we just recently, uh, thanks to President Donald Trump, by the way, we signed the new, uh, the new uh, uh, agreement with Mexico and Canada. USMCA. Great deal, yep. very good for the United States, very good. Mexicans are very happy. Canadians are very happy. The only question, I mean, the Canadians are questioning only the, in terms of the steel tariffs and all that kind. But... It's something that can be resolved. However, very important. It, the region is very important for um, uh, for the uh, United States because the region depends on the United States. It's a very good, the whole region, it is a very good trade partner. Now, the, the, the left, obviously, they want to take over because it is really, we are rich in not only in natural resources, but also it is very strategic. It is really strategic because it is the natural neighbor of 
United States. That's our I backyard. Mean, what else do you want? It's yeah, right backyard. <laughs> Hello, <laughs> you can't get closer than these. So they need to. Hey, and that's why, that's why Ronald Reagan defended Latin America so strong. Exactly. With the Sandinistas, Contras, he, he didn't. Exactly. He didn't he let was, the Russians, the Soviet Union, in our backyard. No. He took it right. Out. Exactly. Even with the Monroe, remember the Monroe Doctrine, that's right. why they say like, you know, no, no, this is, we pretty much are going to have a very presence here, so don't mess with us. And so I think world, that's what Trump is doing, right? He's trying to pull us out of the Middle East and trying to focus absolutely. in Latin America, right? Absolutely, absolutely. So and you, think that's, you think that's a smart move? Uh, for, for the, uh, yes, for the left, it is really a smart, because once, once they stabilize the region, obviously, United States is going to have a lot, a lot of problems, and is going to be putting all kind of money into that, but they love to destabilize. Look at what's happening right now with all this currency. I'm going to give you a, you know, a quick example in the Venezuela, for example, or forget it. When it comes to Nicaragua as well, look at what happened when Evo Morales was there at, at, at some point. I mean, the left is taking over and once the late once the left take over it is a total mess it is a total chaos people is suffering and people is leaving their countries where do they go united states and yep. this creates a lot of i mean it's a strong it creates pressure. a lot of pressure here right economically course, on the job market course, course. absolutely absolutely but they they love to destabilize uh, and, and it's uh, not and it's not an anti-immigrant thing it's not an anti-hispanic yes, thing it is not but the problem it is, is that when they destabilize these countries the people that come here are the poorest of the poor, right? Yes. And they absolutely. don't have a lot of skills or a lot of education. In a lot of the cases, they don't even know how to read and write in their own language. So, uh, so we're taking in, you know, poor, needy people, but people that don't have a lot of skill set to compete in a first world economy, right? So, yes. so that's how they you will drag suffer. down. They will suffer, they will here, suffer and here, and then you drag down our country, right? Right. Hey, absolutely. The uh, the other point of view is that when they come here to the United States, that, that that's right. They come here, they suffer, they create. Uh, it is overwhelming for the system to try to absorb these people because they really are not going to change. You know, uh, statistics show that it, they're not going to change. Due to the fact that they come already as adults, yep. uh, meaning that 25 and over, with kids, and uh, it is really hard. So creating that kind of pressure is uh, it is really strong for the United States. In addition to that, the left love to portray the United States as a heartless, yep. <laughs> as a heartless country. Like, oh, look at what it's doing to the poor immigrants. Second, is it is very important that the media, it. it this is quite interesting how the media portrays the, um, I, we call, what they call at some point, charismatic leaders like Fidel Castro, Chavez, <laughs> for example, where they were all oh, charismatic leaders. But when it comes to the United States, it's like, oh, look at Donald Trump. No, 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 we cannot have this kind of thing. Double standard, completely double, double standard. So you... You can win. Yeah, but you know what? what? What's really interesting is that when they lose on the issues, and we know they're losing on issues and on policy, the only thing they can resort to is name yes. is racist, criminal, corrupt, uh, Putin's puppet, uh, Russian collusion, all these fake news, all these fake stories, fake impeachment, fake corruption, fake collusion, everything. Yes, uh, yes, yes. All it is was all a failed attempt of a coup d'etat 
on a duly elected president of the United yes. States in the year uh, in the year 2020. It is crazy. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it is, is insane. It is. That's insane. why. Totally insane. That insane. That's why we gotta re, We have to be really careful here with the media um, when they portray these people, these uh, charismatic nationalist leaders, right? And when it comes to the United States, Donald Trump is the, the horrible person that is destroying the country. Look at the double standard here. Look at the whole thing. They take Fidel Castro. They take um, even Ortega at a certain point. They uh, when they are taking. Chavez, when they took Chavez, it's like, oh, you know, yes, really, this is what this country needs. They're going to turn this over. And when it comes to the United States, it's like, no, it's, it is bad. The guy is going to destroy the country. We don't need this kind of policy. So we have to be really careful with the media. Now, my question is, okay, they're trying to portray Latin America in a certain way, but what's happening? Why? You know, they never talk about Latin America when right. it comes Why? to all these social Why? movements. Why? That's what, because they are, exactly, they are doing the game. They're signing on the left. They're absolutely signing on the left. If any action the left is doing, either they're they hiding. Inform about they're it, hiding. They inform about they're they're hiding. hiding what's going on in Latin America. They're hiding right. it from the American people. They don't inform about it, or they pretty much don't care. It's like, a, no, no, we're not going to, we're not going to uh, publish or you know inform about this one, or they don't even care. So, no, no, that's okay. However, it is very important, but they don't do that. What do they inform? What do they publish? Is when they have some demonstrations against Donald Trump. They send everybody down there. All they need is Jim Acosta, the, the <laughs> activist with a press pass, to fly down there on his Lear jet, you know, <laughs> and, and cover the protests in Chile or in, or in Colombia that are anti Trump. Right? <laughs> they're a joke. They're a joke. They're an embarrassment. Oh, my God. But you know what? Let, let's go back, you know, leading into that, we see what happened here with this. With this disaster with this Black Lives Matter situation, right? Right. right. So, you know, it was horrible what happened to this, you know, this gentleman, Floyd, you know. Yes. There, you know, there's going to be a day in court for that. We'll figure out what, what, what happened, you know, what, what, what all the details were. Obviously, the officer, you know, sat on his neck and, and the guy died. That's horrible, right? Yes. But yes. From, from that situation, the burn down half the country, uh, with arson, looting, rioting, assault, murder, because they've killed people, mm -hmm. desecration, you know, uh, of churches and, and, and statues and just destroying everything. You know, they've turned, exactly. they've turned one incident into absolute chaos to now talking about destroying the American system, defunding mm -hmm. the police. You have de Blasio, who I think is probably mentally ill, or use or consumes a lot of drugs. I mean, he's got to be on drugs or he's mentally ill. I mean, you know, just yesterday he said, you know, we have less people in jail because of COVID now and the streets are safer. When we know there's been an increase of, I don't know what percent of it, in murder, crime and everything in New York City. I mean, this guy's insane. You know, he, he's painting Black Lives Matter in front of Trump's building as some mega accomplishment while people are getting slaughtered and murdered all over New York City. You know, the, the guy is insane. He was right. Mr. Zero Percent when he ran for president. 
I don't know what his percentage of approval is in New York, but it can't be too much higher than 0%, you know? But, uh, but Gonzalo, explain to us, what, what, is, what is this Black Lives Matter thing really about, right? What is it really about? Because we know it's not about George Floyd. We know it's tied into this global, you know, Marxist movement that, that right. includes Russia, China, Iran, you know, the, 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 the Marxists in Europe. We know the Grupo Puebla in Latin America because we've seen them on the streets during these riots. What is this really about? Yes, well, uh, the group, the actual, uh, it was found after uh, the uh, Trevon Martin incident. And, but one of the things is that perhaps at the beginning, did have some, uh, you know, some cause that we can say like, okay, you know, I understand people is frustrated. However, it was evolving. And the founders, the founders of uh, Black Lives Matter have been, they, they've been saying that they're Marxists. Yeah, there's, there's been no a question about it. Yeah. If, if anybody, if, any, if anybody's is saying like, no, it's not true. It is true. Yeah, there's they're videos. Self, there's videos on there. They are yeah. self-confessed yep. Marxists. Like, no question about it. Yep. Now, What's happening? What's happening is that they're very smart. Exactly, again, any socialist will follow the same procedure. They are going to take something that to, you know, to the world, it is not acceptable. It is not acceptable to have, uh, you know, your, your, your knee on a guy that is not armed. Yeah, choke him to death. Almost right. that nine minutes, right. Yeah, it is not acceptable until, until he died. So they took that specific, that specific action, and just just blew it out of of through the whole world. And they took a new movement in which you know they demand all kind of things. So obviously the whole thing was like, a, wow, okay, you know they are right at a certain point. However, however, Ivan, the problem here is that again they know what they're doing. They knew that this thing was not going to stop just by sending. Uh, Derek, I forgot his name, the police officer, to, you know, to, 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 to jail for the time being until, you know, the whole trail, uh, trail will, will come. But um, they know that the whole thing was going to explode, not only in the United States, but in the world. Yeah. I mean, they're following, they're following their, their uh, education in social Yeah, 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 the Marxist, the Marxist blueprint. That's Absolutely. right. Absolutely. Wait, but let me ask you a question r real quick, because we're running out of time, is... is oh. This yes. entire thing, did it, is it, I, I personally think there's going to be a backlash. I think they overstepped. I think it's going to backfire. Why would they come out after Hispanic heritage and culture? Why yes. would they go yes. there? Why would they go there? Was that just an overreach? Was it miscalculation or was it 100% calculated? Why it was, was it for Hispanic? It was, it was calculated because they knew that now they're empowered, they can go against. Hispanics and their heritage, they will go against faith, yep. Catholic specifically, church you know, is, and the, exactly, the church, the Catholic church, and they knew that exactly that was going to happen. They knew, they knew that since the beginning. Now, my question is, and where are the authorities here? Huh? I, I, I see no arrests. They no. have cameras. They have cameras on all the things. Everywhere. I don't see, exactly. I don't see anyone acting. Now, Listen, this is really dangerous because the police actually is afraid. It's afraid to act. Well, there were seen videos of police officers being openly assaulted and attacked.
Yes, yes, absolutely, absolutely. absolutely. And CNN is not broadcasting these kind of attacks. Well, you see that idiot, you see Fredo, you know, Fredo on CNN, on fake news CNN, Fredo, you know, Chris Cuomo saying last night, you know, where does it say that protests need to be peaceful? It's it's amazing. It's actually, it says that actually in the First Amendment, right? Peaceful right. gathering assembly, right? Exactly. Peacefully. It is. It actually it explicitly is. says peacefully. You know, <laughs> but this guy's an imbecile. So who knows, right? But but just amazing. This is what the left. This is what they're. This is what the media is pushing and promoting, accepting and endorsing. And that's what absolutely. They have become absolutely. a super PAC for the Democratic Party for the Marxist movement around the world. And how do you stop that? How do you control that? I mean, it's so dangerous. We saw the situation. I want you to really touch this because you're really the expert when it comes down to this, you know, on the whole Goya situation. We had the president of the United States, his big, big initiative, you know, for the Hispanic community. You know, he invites the, the CEO of Goya, who Goya, one of the most prestigious companies in the United States, the most prestigious Hispanic owned company in the United States. And what does the left do? They go out there and trash it, and they and exactly. they call for a boycott. You know, it, it's I, I don't understand this. I mean, I keep on going back to my question before: is did they overstep? Did they overstep? And um, did they overstep? And and um, and 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 overreach and just say, you know what, we made they made a mistake here, or is it really calculated? Because if they want the Hispanic vote. I don't see this helping them. This is going to drive more and more people, more Hispanics to vote for Trump. Yeah, no, I absolutely right. When you see, for example, Goya, it is a great brand uh, giving us what, you know, our food really, I mean, I love their, their beans. I love their products. I really, I really like Goya and I, I you know, and I, and I buy Goya because it makes me feel closer to home. Okay, number one. Number two, uh, the uh, Goya was there because was Goya product the, the company was one of the sponsor of this great, <clears throat> excuse me, initiative that the president is was promoting that day. The guy, the CEO, has all the right to say thank you, Mr. President. You are a great person. You're a great leader, and we really appreciate what you are doing for the community. Right. Hello. But but the media, knowing that what that was going to win some points in the Hispanic community, they totally twisted the whole thing and it's like a, oh this guy is praising the, the the president of the united states i mean we're not talking about china being here we're not talking about putin here it's, we're talking about the president of the united states for God's but, but, sake. but when when the ceo goya went to the white house when obama was president they didn't seem to have a problem with that no exactly there was not a problem not a problem no and the guy praised president obama and he's right. like you know you're Great president, whatever, and nobody mentioned so anything. So anybody that says anything about Trump, you're a racist, you're a misogynist, yes. you're a xenophobe, you're a Nazi, you're Hitler, you're the devil incarnated, you know, you're you're the Antichrist. Well, actually, they don't believe in Christ either. But, you know, <laughs> you're, you're just this ogre, horrible beast that wants to destroy Absolutely. humanity. You know that? Absolutely. But that's insane. I mean, it goes beyond reason. Anybody that has any any capacity to to discern reality from fiction can see that this is, this is this is stupidity but right, how but do that, people how do people continue on on this thing i mean how do you right. how do you not but, say well, are you guys retarded are you guys stupid what the hell is wrong with you right that's why we got to have more podcasts like yours that's why we have we got to have more 
we have to speak out. We cannot let CNN, for example, yeah. you know, do not believe what CNN is saying. Do not believe that. Even worse, MSNBC yeah. are saying, do not believe. MSLSD, MSLSD. Those guys over there have to be on LSD. You know, <laughs> you know I used to like Joe when he was a congressman from Florida, but now, yeah. I, that, I mean, he's lost his marbles. I mean, yes. you know. Ah. It's true. It's true. It's true. It, it, but dude, that's why we need more postcards like yours. We need voices like yours. We need people like you that pretty much is going to give you a different perspective from this one. Because really, when it comes to communications, people want to just listen to the news and digest and accept what the what the anchor is saying. What happened here in CNA? We have looks like a propaganda. Yeah. It looks like a propaganda company. Is that? A company, not, 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 not even news out there. That, that's why I call them a super PAC. They're a super PAC. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> They're a super, super PAC, PAC for the Democrats. Set up, oh, they are. Set up, yeah, set up <laughs> at the a department, you know, the propaganda department. They, that's, you know, right. that's the one. That's because exactly what they look, are. This guy, Cuomo, calling, you know, for violence, huh. asking for more violence. People, I mean, these people, rather than healing. Okay, you, the president sometimes is not, you know, has some, certain things. The anchor is not supposed to take part. The anchor is supposed just to say the news. It's okay right, like you do on your show, right? So you obviously yeah. have, have, have clear positions. But when yeah. you host your show, nobody knows where you stand on an issue. Exactly. You are 100% neutral. You bring exactly. the information and you let your guests you know, discuss or That's whatever. That's the point. Exactly. No, the, you, exactly. But you're you're a real professional, right? That's the difference. The, the, there you go. The viewers are the one that will decide. When you talk, and say, okay, I understand the uh, you know the Republican position. With somebody else talking, the Democrat, okay, I understand that point of view. Right. But I don't take any kind of you know, it's like a, yes, you are absolutely right, Ivan, or you know. However, however, it is really important that people know that the media right now, we should not. Four months before, uh, before elections, we should not. We always should question what the media is saying right now, number one. Number two, we need more postcards like yours. We need more people that speak out. We have a problem with, uh, uh, Republicans do have a problem. They're, I mean, highly educated. And because they're highly educated and working all the time, they yeah. do not have the time. <laughs> they do not have the time. Yeah, we don't have the time to go out there and ride and burn down cities, man. Come on. Exactly. Yeah. We, they, don't, they do not have the time. They need to take them. We should all coordinate our vacations together and go burn down, like, you know, Detroit and Los Angeles and New York City. I don't know. Exactly. You don't, guys, you don't have the time to go out and, you know, don't destroy. Yeah, we got to pay bills. <laughs> you got to pay the bills. You are doing it, you know, you are engaged in all kind of uh, uh, private sector enterprises. You are traveling. You are doing all kind of things. You are sending your kids to college. You are studying. You are getting your uh, education, your master's degree, whatever. So Republicans, uh, they really don't get into that. However, the Democrats, oh, my God, liberals, they have all day long to plan for. Right. When they're not playing video games in the basement of their mother's house. <laughs> You know, they can go out there, you know, riot, arson, you know, uh, loot, <laughs> you, yeah. you name it, assault and kill people. I mean, that's exactly. what they do. They got all the time in the world. Come on. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the great Gonzalo Barca. Gonzalo, thanks for joining us, man. We need to have you on the show a lot more often. We're going to have to create the Latin America corner with Gonzalo Barca. I mean, there's so much to talk about. We have elections going on down there that are coming up.
I'd love for you to come back yes. and start talking about that. The American people really need to understand what's at risk, what is at play, why Latin America is about to collapse, and uh, how does it impact us. And that's why everybody around the world that is right of center, that is not a Marxist, today is united behind Trump. And I think that should be a great piece to talk about next uh, on the next segment, uh, on the next show when you come on. Um, Gonzalo, thank you very much. I appreciate it. It's always nice being with you. Thank, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on the show. I appreciate it. And we'll be right back with more battle, Battleground. Do not go anywhere. Welcome back to Battleground. And on this segment, we're joined by our uh, dear friend, uh, world-renowned <laughs> staff writer for The Hill, Rafael Bernal. Rafael, thanks for joining again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the, on, on the show. Uh, your voice is invaluable. Uh, you always say it like it is. You try not to pick a side. You try to be neutral. That's why we like you on the show, to have some objectivity versus so many activists that we have in the media today and in the press. So thanks hey, for having me on. I appreciate you having me on. I uh, always enjoy it. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, you know, let, let's kick it off right away. Um, something that, that didn't get a lot of a lot of real coverage, right? It got, uh, I think it got noise, but it, it, it didn't get real coverage was uh, Mexico's president um, came to the White House. What happened? So interesting. I think it's, it's good that you start with the coverage. Uh, of course, it, these visits always get very ample coverage in Mexico or whatever Latin American country Correct. has their president visiting Correct. the U.S. president. This is always a huge deal yep. for a Latin American country. I saw a lot of complaints on Mexican media. You know, this didn't get co coverage at all in the United States. And well, I, first of all, I, I felt personally alluded to and insulted. And I have to tell Mexican media that, you know, what am I, you know, chopped liver? That's uh, right. Because yeah. I did write a story, of course. I, it was a very important visit. Yeah. Yeah. And second of all, and being serious here, I mean, front page of the Wall Street Journal, you know, maybe they're just watching network news where it was not covered. Right. I, I, I don't understand that decision, but they're, they're right about that. But front page of the Wall Street Journal is no laughing matter. So Correct. that's the media critique of, of, that, of that side. So is it valid or not? I, I think critiquing sort of mainstream, it's hard to say what is mainstream media. Why, or not. Uh, like, uh, I think the networks, ABC, NBC, CBS, you know, I think you got to throw in, you know, CNN and MSNBC in there. Um, and Fox even didn't give it. Yeah, that much yeah, and, and Fox even too. I mean, they did. You know, I, I think you know the three cable news networks did a political drive-by on it, right? Um, the the three uh, open networks did nothing on it. Um, so that's why we have you here. What what really happened? So what, 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 what everybody's appealing to their audience. I think I think the uh, three open networks have all, always underestimated their audience. That would be my critique of them, yep. and especially in terms of, of Latin American politics. What happened was, uh, President Mexican President Andrés Manuel López Obrador did his first international visit in 19 months in office. And that was that was critique because he was saying that he was never going to go out or leave the country or something like that, right? He's a he's a nationalist has always been. Uh, he's very consistent in that. Um, and yeah, he was saying there's no reason to leave. the The best foreign policy is a good domestic policy. All those things, and but he has been coming closer to Trump over those 19 months. 
during his campaign, he wrote a book. Oh, yeah, Trump. You yeah. know, uh, Trump. He yeah. calls him Trump. Yeah, yeah. Listen, Trump. Um, being very critical about the wall, being very critical about the, the way uh, Trump refers to and treats migrants, about, you know, just, I mean, every, all the pillars of Trumpism he criticized as they pertain to Mexico anyway. As president, he's become, I would say, Trump's closest ally in the, in the region. I, I'm glad you brought that up, right? Because I was about to say that, especially doing something that no other president has done before on Mexico, which is securing the border on the Mexican side. So, and this has gotten him a lot of heat because, so one, one of the things he did, he restructured security forces. Um, one read that's pretty common is that he's a little bit paranoid of a potential coup, although that's really in Mexican politics, a coup is about as far-fetched as in American politics. Like you, you just cannot imagine the military breaking constitutional order, right. but- Not in Mexico, I mean, you can see that in some of the other countries in Latin America, maybe. Right. And it's it's designed that way. You have to remember that that the Secretary of Defense has to contend with the Secretary of the Navy. You have two cabinet level militaries for a reason. The, the, the Mexican Revolution was the end of it was designed to prevent this sort of thing that was going on in the rest of Latin America. Right. Um, so it's 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 very much by design. But it's also a very mature country with a very mature economy too, right? right. Yeah, so you, they're not going to do that. Uh, right. Yeah. That's, it's, it, it would not be realistic to think that. But he did restructure security forces in a way that implies at least some distrust of existing institutions. For instance, he created the National Guard. Right. Now, this is very common. From Sedena. So what has Mexico done in its, in its war against drugs? Uh, first, it had the Policia Federal de Caminos, which became the Policia Federal which became the w w parallel with the Agencia Federal Investigadora. What Mexico does is it changes the name and the badge on its main security force every six years. So it just rebrands. <laughs> rebrands, same results. Yeah. This rebranding was more aggressive. And this rebranding, one very important aspect of it is like, as you said, it put a lot of, of resources into Trump's, specifically Trump's requests on Central American migration. Basically, put them on the southern border, make them stop you know, Central American migrants throughout the country, stop them on the northern border from, from crossing into the United States. It's something that Mexico had always refused to do as a matter of sovereignty and you know, free movement of people is in Mexico's constitution. So yeah. there, there were legal reasons as well. Instead of using those forces in the war against, you know violent crime, which is a huge problem in the country and, and deepening. So that won him a lot of points with Trump, you know, yeah. obviously. So he's here at the White House. What was the point of that visit? What happened? Did anything get accomplished? Well, it depends on who you ask. So the, the, the main well, I'm thing asking you for objectivity. So, so what, what does Rafael Bernal see it? What is your analysis? Because I know you, you wrote about it, so... The, fundamentally, nothing changed. Fundamentally, he was here to celebrate passage of the USMCA, which is strange that either of these two presidents is supporting a free trade agreement. They both dislike international free trade, but it's their agreement. And yes, they, they got there and celebrated it. The pro Lopez Obrador camp says he came here to sort of restore dignity to relations 
and sort of speak truth to Trump and also, you know, foster friendship. Now, the anti-Lopez Obrador camp, which has in this case sort of um, had had more reception to to their analysis, and and I think they they ha they have a lot of truth in them. Uh, he basically came here to to just appease Trump. It was a policy of appeasement, and because he came here, he said nice things about Trump. He said, you know, you've always treated Mexicans with respect, and you treat with Mexicans with more respect now than ever before. And we want to thank you. And making all these historical comparisons to the mythology of Abraham Lincoln and Benito Juarez, who did not have as good a relationship as, as the- Are U.S.-Mexican relations better or worse? Government to government, they're better. Um, people to people? People to people. I w people to people, they just might be worse. And, yeah. and that's, that's really bad because you had seen a, a moving, had seen them moving toward a better situation. One, one analysis that I heard from two former ambassadors that I think is the most objective point that sort of withstands attacks from either side. I think it's very important. Whether you think the visit itself was good or not, the fact that it was necessary between two nationalist presidents, two presidents who do not believe in this sort of interaction as much, two presidents who theoretically, one is from the left and the other from the right, who could have been at each other's throats, the fact that it was necessary and they had to make nice no matter what, is it because of what one I think you're breaking up on us, Rafael. Hold on, hold on. There, you, I think you're back. Are you back? I'm back. There you are. Right. You're back. Okay. There All you right. Go. Yep. So the 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 analysis these uh, these ambassadors made, which I think is very valid, is that it's it's not about whether one president did good or bad or the other president did good or bad. It's that no matter who's leading the two countries, the relationship is so important. Yeah. The two countries are tied at the hip. Whether 100%, like it or not, 100%. Their economies are and I think, and I think after USMCA, more so, right? Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it opens up like the, the US government gets to tell Mexico what to do on labor rights a lot more than before. Yeah, and, and that's the key, right? gonna that's, like this. Uh, well, but that was important for the US for yeah. US manufacturing. It was you, it was important to, to bring some parity on a 25 year old agreement, right? That didn't cover a lot of labor, labor parity. Right. And frankly, to, it was important for Mexican workers. Absolutely. There, there are some few indications that it is improving conditions for Mexican workers. Japanese automakers have raised the minimum wage to sixteen dollars an hour. Sixteen dollars an hour for a factory worker in Latin America, yep. unheard that's, of. That's amazing. That is amazing. You, you know, also that's, have that's USMCA, though. That that's the USMCA. good news. That was that's, in that was in the agreement. Right? Yes, that's 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 the good news. Yep. The bad news is you also have a lot of reports of, of the Mexican government is not following through on a lot of the promises it made for uh, for labor unions to be independent, for instance. It's jailed even, there's one labor uh, activist that's been jailed in the north of Mexico. So there's there's some questions about the commitment, but-, but Overall, least, I think everybody agrees it's, it's an improvement on NAFTA, right? Mm -hmm. I think I think yes. I think uh, NAFTA's biggest failing at this point was that it was 25 years old yeah. and didn't cover a lot of things. It needed to be refreshed. Hey, I, I'm going to touch on one of my favorite subjects. Um, I know you don't like to touch it too too head on, but I'm going to I'm going to challenge you a little bit on this, okay. and because you briefly mentioned it, 
And that is Lopez Obrador's administration to, instead of confront the cartels, it's been to appease. And there are even some rumors about a cartel member in his cabinet. We don't have to get in the names. Um, and I'll let you go as deep as you want to go. I know you have family in Mexico, so I'll respect that. But the situation with the cartels, the drug, the drug problem in Mexico, is it better or is it worse? So it's no longer a drug problem, for starters. Um, Mexico's, Mexico's... I know where you're going, by the way. I led the witness. I'm leading the witness, so go ahead. I, 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 I consent to be led in this direction. Um, <laughs> it's no longer a drug problem. It's a violence problem, for yeah. starters. It's, it's a very pervasive violence problem. You have hundreds of thousands of dead murdered. Um, the, well, just the murder, brutal assassinations, right? I mean, it's right. A, a, a lot of them. I mean, the ones we we hear about mostly are the ones that are done in such a way that they're done to send a message. Yep. And you know, the message is very clear. You know, the, there's certain language we can't use on your uh, podcast, but don't mess with us. Yep. And, you know, and 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 it has worked. Um, there's Mexico's drug situation is it has always been a producer of traditional opiates. That, that means poppy, I think it's turned into opium and heroin and of marijuana um, in different regions of the country. And it has always been a transit point for Colombian uh, cocaine and more recently for Chinese fentanyl. And also more recently, meth labs have sort of popped up around the country. So <laughs> that's yeah. pretty complicated but it doesn't tell the whole story, A, because marijuana is still a, a big factor financially. It's, it's a lot of money. It's, it's despite the fact that most high grade marijuana consumed in the United States has grown in California, Colorado, and <coughs> pardon me, yeah, and so it's, on. It's done synthetically, right? And, and it's, well, the, so. it's just the, the fact that it's done legally means that it's done with more care and, and you know, the, 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 the growers take more care into making a plant that's suitable to their purposes, in this case, having a high THC content, than you know, having a plant that the military can't find. Right. So it's, it's, it's a different sort of agriculture entirely. Um, where does that go? I mean, where, where, does, where does the marijuana situation in Mexico and, and so many other countries, where does that end up when the United States starts legalizing marijuana, right? Um, I, I think that's gonna be the big challenge. And, and that's why I think you see the fentanyl, you see the meth blast popping up. And obviously I think cocaine's not going anywhere for a long time. So it's, they, they all behave very differently. The one thing they, they all share in co common is of course, the way they get into the United States, you know, through, through how the cartels smuggle the drugs, but they, they're, they have very different markets. Right now, Mexican marijuana is sort of the low quality, cheaper material that, you know, people who are buying marijuana in the United States can get from a street vendor rather than from a from a shop Answer. Yep. Um, or from dispensary. Yep. Um, and and I, I just I just wrote a story about a, a bunch of activists for legalization planted marijuana outside the Mexican Senate. And it turns out the plants are growing because A, it's rainy season, B, they don't have caretakers because it's coronavirus and everybody's locked in. So the Mexican Senate has a very large, uh, well, 420 
420 marijuana plants growing outside of it. So where is that going? It's growing, going toward legalization in Mexico as well, because I mean, frankly, Mexicans are just saying, well, wh why am I fighting a drug war? Right. With and, and I think, you know, that, that you, you, you touched on the key words, the drug war, right? Started decades ago. It's been an, I would say an utter failure. Utter. We, we, we spent billions and billions of dollars on, on something that has failed a hundred percent. Um, What's next? I mean, where does all this go? Where do we lead? I mean, you can't just legalize fentanyl. You can't legalize <laughs> meth. You can't well, put a dispensary and sell cocaine. I uh, mean, if, if you ask the if you ask the libertarians, and I, I don't think even the most liberal Democrats will agree with this, but but like if you ask the the Texas. most libertarian people at, at the Cato Institute, I, I, Cato, oh yeah, I, I assume their answer would be somewhere along the lines of, yes, people are going to use different kinds of drugs for entertainment purposes. But if they are legally grown and sold, you're not going to sell pure fentanyl that will kill you with, you know, apparently it's a very toxic substance. It's, it's, oh. it's of a toxicity that's hard to understand the whole thing. You touch a little bit and you're dead. And you're dead. So, so I don't understand really how it's used for entertainment. It sounds more like a poison. Right. But yeah. so it's, it's, so you have like a spectrum of danger from that to marijuana where, well, I, I've never heard of anyone dying from marijuana. Right. So their, their argument is, well, we, we moved toward legalizing and, and well, they wouldn't say regulating because they don't like regulating anything, but, right. but toward making sure that the government ensures that there's a certain level of safety with products that people are using and people can a, use it for whatever you know, they want. Going, going, you know, touching, going on top of that, you know, there's, this, there, there's always been this big you know, argument or push, right? Especially from the libertarian side, you know, about legalize it and tax it and regulate it, right? Uh, right. Control it. Um, the other side, you know, which, you know, a lot, a lot of us, you know, have been is, you know, you can't legalize something, you'll destroy your civilization, you know, right. or society as a whole. Um, and then you have the other side, you know, uh, these countries where this stuff grows, uh, who have been fighting these wars, and they've been affected tremendously, right? With all the violence, um, you know, the, the, the deaths and, uh, and the destabilization of their economies and their countries, right? And, and I think we talked about this, you know, when we, were, when we were on the air before the pandemic is how many countries' economies depend on the drug trade, right? Well, and I mean, it's not that they're criminal organizations, it's just the amount of revenue that moves and circulates because of this business, right? We can, we can name a few that absolutely depend on, you're talking Afghanistan? Sure. Absolutely. Uh, to a lesser degree, the Andean nations, you know, yeah. Venezuela, Colombia, Peru, and, Colombia, and Peru, Peru, Colombia, Bolivia, right. Bolivia. Yep. Um, to a lesser extent, even, then you have you know, places like China, Mexico, probably India and Pakistan. Um, I, I know uh, Morocco also yeah, has Morocco, a, a certain element of that. Um, so yeah, so the, the growing countries, and, and this kind of goes full circle to your, to your original question. The other, the other aspect of marijuana legalization in Mexico is sort of like, why are we fighting our own farmers who are only, you know, they're growing a cash crop. This, I mean, from the United States, a cash crop in this country. I mean, and if you legalize it, right, I'm not saying legalize it, but I'm saying if you legalize it, if they're legalizing in the U.S., if you legalize it over there and you produce better product, control it, regulate it, make sure it's very clean, 
You know, wouldn't you, be able, wouldn't you be able to export it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's like better, cheaper. You find your competitive nature, and there there is a very broad and and sort of humanitarian argument for viewing this as a market. And and and, and in Colombia, I mean, Colombia's had a lot of trouble trying to replace coca plantations because you tell a guy, you know, you, you should be growing coffee. It's like, well, first of all, it's going to be ten years before I get paid a cent for this. And second of all, I'm going to get paid a third of what I get paid for growing yeah, this other like, like thing that tenth, grows a easily. Tenth, a tenth. Not even a, tenth. a third. A tenth. Like, let's they, say a, and a, I got to work. The other stuff, I just leave it and it grows by itself. You know, that, so, that's a big challenge, right? So I don't know how you get around that. Um, it is always such a difficult issue to, to try and put your hands around. And the problem is just the violence, right? The violence has... has has destroyed so many of these countries. I mean, you you know, we remember the the uh, Escobar days, the Cartel de Medellin, Cartel de Cali. Um, you know, <laughs> I don't need to tell you about what's going on in Mexico still to today. Um, just the violence is out of control. Um, and and more so that the cartel violence and and the the cartel structure built a criminal underworld that is now that now has drugs as one of their its divisions. It's not just the drugs anymore. It's the kidnapping. It's the what they call cobro de piso in Mexico. It's right. basically security rackets. Right. Um, they they now have a sort of a parallel structure to the state, and that's more dangerous. And going back to your even first question, that is a big critique for Lopez Obrador, who rebranded you know it, it seems like it's a mexican president's right to rebrand security forces this is what you do when you're president fine okay but rebranded and then turned it into a migration police at a point where migration was you know not on the top five list of issues affecting mexicans at a point when insecurity and violence well, it was, was the number one issue. mexico in their relationship with the u.s right so it was affecting Mexico's relationship with the United States, but you're right; it wasn't affecting Mexicans. Yeah, I mean, it's, and it's the violence certain... is right, and the violence is. Yeah. Um, that's why I was saying, you know, this appeasement strategy by Lopez Obrador. How dangerous is that? Is that is that is he compromised? I, you are, know, they, I mean, are these rumors, and I'm not going to mention any names either because I don't want anybody showing up at my house, but, uh, you know, that they have a cartel member in his cabinet? I mean, I mean what, the, all, what does all that mean, right, without, so, getting, without getting in trouble, right? So his opposition obviously uh, insinuates, and the people insinuate that he is compromised. Um, he shook hands with El Chapo's mother uh, very casually, that's not a good look right. when you're the head of the security to, forces. Do the uh, Chapo's son's wedding or something like that. As you know, well. he, he let go of Chapo's son, yeah. but he, he had an excuse for that. The, the, the violence was getting out of control in the city where they captured yeah. him. So he's saying that, that that's appeasement. But yeah, his policy of appeasement toward criminals, organizations, toward uh, corruption, on as long as it's on his side, toward Donald Trump, seems that his he seems like to, to be stuck in appeasement gear uh in many ways and that's that's the that's the heaviest critique against him so it also might be an argument against him being compromised because if this is how he treats all challenges uh you know maybe maybe he just doesn't know how else to do it um 
the, the core issue is that it's not improving. Like, right. That's that's a big that's a big thing. Look, we have uh, we have we have th two and a half minutes. I wanted to get your your opinion real quick. Uh, twenty twenty is coming up. The election. Uh, I need to have you back to really deep dive into that, what that means. But just really two minutes, Hispanic voters, Hispanic vote in November. If you're a betting man, which I know you're not, um, how do you see this now? How do you see this in November? What do you think is going to happen? So what I'm looking out for, the, the, the part that I won't wager on, but, but, but I am looking out for, is to see if we see a continuation of the pattern from 2018, where a lot of Hispanic voters who were irregular voters before or not at all voters, they come out to vote and do that in, in force. That would most likely benefit Biden because you're talking about younger people, you're talking about poorer people, um, maybe less educated, but I, I'm not. I'm not entirely certain that you could make yeah. that claim. But definitely younger and poorer. Um, so, the, and and in places like Texas and places like Arizona, where you, you can make that state into a swing state, right? Right. Or, where, where, but President Trump is actually his appeals towards Hispanics have been pretty effective. He's got a limited. Yeah, I mean, we saw some numbers early in the year, right? I mean, we talked about it. Actually, on the show, you know, where, where his, his numbers amongst Hispanic were 49, 50, 51 percent. It, it, it depends on how you measure, but right. his numbers right. about uh, voter intention are not that high. But he's got a very limited, he's not going to get 44 percent that George W. Bush no. got. It's, but he'll get over 35 percent. He, he, he could, I think, I think his width is from 25 to 35. If he gets near to 35, that means he's done a very good job campaigning yep. toward wealthier, more conservative, more English speaking Hispanics that, you know, are, are a lot of a lot of Hispanics. So, I mean, he's his campaign has a lot of problems, but I think right now the thing he's doing best is appealing to the Hispanics yeah. that he can appeal to and identifying. Them I, well. and, and, and that's why I was talking about the Lopez Obrador visit. Does that help Trump's image and relationship with the Mexican-American community, which is really, really high in the United States, or, or does it not move the needle at all? I don't see. I I don't see it, and I haven't seen anyone think that it moves the needle. I think uh, it it moved Lopez Obrador's needle down because he didn't meet with immigrants and Mexican Americans, so he lost credibility. Yep. Uh, it did not help Trump. I don't think. Excellent. Hey, Rafael Bernal, thank you very much for joining us, and we need to have you back on. We always say we have so much stuff to talk about, and we always run out of time. Um, as you know, we're going to be shooting at the um, at the Willard, you know, starting in September. Brand new set, studios across from the White House. So one of the things that we wanted to do is, um, you know, in that open area they have out there, do that immigration panel. Um, and, and I'd love to have you be part of that. Fantastic. I would love to. Excellent. Uh, again, thank you so much for being on the show. And uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with more Battleground. Welcome back to Battleground, and we have a very, very special guest. This is not politics, but this is a very, very special guest. We have um, Larry Benet, one of the most connected men in the world, according to Fo uh, Forbes magazine. This guy knows everybody, every top executive, uh, people from Tony Robbins to owners of sports teams to uh, super well-known executive CEOs. 
the Fortune 500, Fortune 50 companies. Uh, Larry, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. I appreciate it. Well, I appreciate you having me. Hey, Larry, you know, so, you know, we, we talk pretty frequently, right? And, uh, and, and I love our conversations. I love your Facebook lives, by the way. If you do not follow Larry on Instagram or Facebook, you need to do that. His, uh, his, his live videos are something special. He's always got a very, very precise message and something that you can always take away. So you should do that right away. What are your tags on, on social media, Larry? So people can, can just jump go on. to Larry, Larry K Benet, B E N E T. I believe that's my Facebook and my Instagram. I'm probably Larry Benet on LinkedIn. <laughs> gotcha. gotcha. Fantastic. So anyway, so Larry, you know, we're, we're, you know, uh, I told you I'd keep you out of politics cause that's what I'm going to do. Um, okay. but, but I am political, so I'm going to be, I'm going to be political a little bit. Sure, um, sure. so we come from, Probably one of the best economies that we've seen in a long, long time. Probably one of the best in, in the history of this country, right? Yep. Lowest unemployment, you know, numbers in a long time. We see real wage increase for the first time in 10 years. You know, one of the most benefited demographics, restory Hispanics in, 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 in that regard. Lowest unemployment for women, for African-Americans, for Hispanics, for Asians, you name it. Roaring, roaring economy, stock market, just amazing. And then we get hit with this pandemic. All of a sudden, we put the greatest economy in the history of the world on hold, right? 40 million or so people filed for unemployment. We're seeing numbers come back at, you know, 2.7 in May, about 5 million in, in, in June. We're probably going to see some bigger numbers in July as things, you know, open up and, and go into phase three. You being the most connected person in the world. Why is that important? Why is it important for people to network? Why is networking so important? And I know you talk to billionaires and multi-billionaires and multi-millionaires every single day. Walk us through. Talk to us. Let's, let's take it down. Forgetting billionaires and millionaires and all those kind of things. Let's take it down to the very most simplistic using you and me as an example. Perfect. So we got introduced through someone that's known me, I don't know, for 15 years, probably because I've put out content uh, on the internet, Facebook, Instagram, etc. And that's how you and I got connected initially. We've stayed in touch. We've done, we've been trying to collaborate in the PPE space, etc. But just using a simple example, the other day, you asked if I could connect your girlfriend's, I don't know, is it fiance or? No, my, 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 uh, my daughter's I'm, boyfriend. I'm sorry, my, your daughter, my bad. Yeah, my, my, yeah, my daughter's boyfriend. Yeah. Sorry, my bad. yeah. But the point is, so he, is, is he just getting out of school? Just yeah, he just graduated in May. Yeah. From Here's college. the thing. Yep. He wants to go into sports marketing and he wants to stay in the area that he lives, right? In DC. So, typically, most jobs, for example, they're found through people's networks. Now, it just so happens I happen to know the owner of the hockey team yep. and the basketball team and the baseball team in DC, even though I'm not from DC. And it's well, not that's like because you're the most connected man in the world. I mean, come on. Well, you know, but <laughs> I want to bring it back to the basics because you sure. know, sure. right before we got on the phone, I was sharing you a text that I was communicating with a very high net worth entrepreneur. But the, the point of the matter is I'm going to, this weekend, I'm going to reach out to those people that I know in sports so, for example, at the NBA All-Star Weekend, I was having lunch 
with someone I met 25 years ago that ran the basketball team for Atlanta. He ran the hockey team in Atlanta, and he's ran five professional sports teams. And it makes for a nice story, but the point is, I met the guy 25 years ago. Now, him and I connected, ironically, over our bond for helping the homeless wow. 23 or 25 years ago. Now, we've stayed in touch a very long time. And in his case, um, he happens to be one of the most influential sports marketing guys in the world, okay? Now, at the NBA All-Star Weekend, him and I broke bread, okay? And I sit at, you know, normally their table during um, some of the NBA weekend festivities. But while him and I were having lunch, okay, and I'm trying to help him and he's trying to help me and we're just kind of connecting, um, some guy from the Washington basketball team, like one of the senior executives walks by and those guys are really good friends. Now, here's the point. I'm able to reach out to that guy because of the relationship that I've had for 20 some odd years with my friend Bernie and Bernie used to be the number two guy at the NBA that's wow. former chief marketing officer but you know like and Bernie for example recently has went into the as a matter of fact I connected you to Bernie ironically yeah, right? yeah. You, you and your friend Rick yeah. um, and so Bernie is going into the contact tracing space yeah. and I introduced him the other day to Willie Galt who's an NFL champ, Super Bowl champ, and oh, yeah. really used to be uh, an Olympian, Olympic athlete. But I've also introduced Bernie to probably five different organizations that they could collaborate on contact tracing. One, which is one of your relationships with a very large national uh, defense contractor. Correct. So, and that's how it all works. So you, your um, daughter's boyfriend is looking for an opportunity. I can introduce him to Bernie because Bernie's got connections and tentacles into the Washington, D.C. area. And I could also reach out to some of the senior executives of those sports teams to see if I can't. And again, I don't even know him, right. but I'm leveraging your relate. You know, you're, I'm trusting in you. He's a good kid and I'm going to make the introduction. But the reality is if I don't stay in touch and I don't add value to Bernie Mullen over 20 some odd years, not, that's not going to happen because I met the gentleman from the Washington basketball team as a result of Bernie. That guy thinks very highly of Bernie. So it's a leveraging relationship capital. And then ironically, probably 30 years ago, I met Ted Leonsis and I did an interview with him. And it's not like I'm buddy buddy with him by any stretch of the imagination, but I know the owner of the Golden State Warriors, Peter Goober, and I know other people in the NBA. That's I'm gonna be interviewing Dominique Wilkins. And so by triangulating, I'm able to add value. I'm able to connect the dots. I'm able to help other people. And, and these days I'm one phone call away. I'm one connection away from most people, most corporations, most executives, et cetera. Yeah, that's amazing. That, that, that is absolutely amazing. And how did you get into this? I mean, cause everybody's got a niche. Everybody's got a thing. You're the chief connector. How did you become the chief connector? Did you just decide one day, I want to be the most connected guy in the world? Or did well, it just actually, not happen? Ironically. Because I know that, your background, you came from Gartner. Tremendous, well, tre tremendous technology company. I mean, awesome company. Even before the days of Gartner Group, and I was just a sales guy, you yep. know, in the initial beginnings. But just to walk back so people know. So I, I come from New York. Um, I come from a middle-class background. I started my first business when I was 15 teaching tennis. And, wow. you know, listen, I've made it and lost it more times than I can count. But literally back in the early 1990s, 
when I was in financial services and I wanted to go get into the technology industry, I asked people, hey, do you know anyone at Microsoft? Do you know anyone at SAP? Do you know anyone at Oracle? And the answer was no, no, no. And for the first time in my life, I was like, wow, this sucks. Yeah. I don't have the connections necessary to even break into that industry. And I felt like I was kind of out of control. And I said, man, I never again want to put myself in this situation. And like I said, I was probably in my early 20s when this happened. So it's like, got, it's like it's like the situation that all these college grads are in right now, right? Correct. They're, they're all of a sudden out in this job market that is not the best job market. And they didn't spend four years in college networking and building those relationships, right? And I, and I shared with you, I believe, a strategy the other day on my podcast for any college graduate, you know, whether it would include interviewing, just like we're doing here, podcasting and writing articles and all sorts of stuff to backdoor their way in to get the relationships that they need and stuff like that. Uh, but anyway, long story short, so going from financial services in my early 20s, trying to crack the code into the technology. Now, and I got a little lucky. I went to a networking event some person said, hey, our company's hiring. I'll introduce you to the hiring manager. And then I was able to finesse my way in to the tech sector. And unfortunately, on my first job, I got let go because I wasn't taking carefully enough doing expense reports and paperwork and, and things that they wanted. The admin needed. stuff, the admin so, stuff, the horrendous admin stuff. Yeah, but here's the moral of the story. My next job was the Gartner Group. And even though I was just in sales, I had volunteered at the time for the Southeastern Software Association. And I was on the committee to bring in speakers. So what I did is I used that role to reach out to influential people in the tech sector to CEOs of software companies. And eventually I became the president of the software, of the Southeastern Software Association. And eventually I joined the board of the Technology Association of Georgia. But at the end of the day, even though I was in sales, this is going back 25, 23 years ago, yeah. the reality is I was connecting dots. I was making strategic introductions from one CEO to another CEO. When one CEO's company was going down and the other guys was going up on the stock market, I'm like, hey, let me introduce you guys for a lunch. I think you guys can learn from each other. And I would start to do these, oh, one VP of sales needed a sales guy, I'd make an introduction. So before long, I became an indispensable asset to these executives. And to this day, this is 23 years later, yeah. I can reach out to some of those CEOs, these titans of industry that I helped 20 some odd years ago. But again, it's, it's, it's a combination. Well, you're, of you're also very good at, 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 at touching people, right? So you can't just, you know, meet somebody 25 years and then never touch them again and then expect them, right? 100%. So let me just give you three examples just from the last 48 to 72 hours. This past, oh, in the last week, Lee Steinberg, yep. if you ever watched the movie Jerry Maguire. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Jer uh, the movie, the character Jerry Maguire is based on Lee Steinberg. Lee did a contract for Patrick Mahomes for over $500 million. It was the largest sports contract in history. Wow. Now, granted, you know, I've known Lee for a long time, but um, I, I reached out, congratulated him. I'm going to send him a big oversized greeting card congratulating him nice. on doing the largest contract in history. And by the way, I didn't just reach out to Lee. His, his junior partner, his Chris Cabot, was equally responsible for doing some of that kind of stuff. And so I'm sending a personal note. I'm sending a personal book to both of them, something that they could both appreciate and value. Um, here's another example. Uh, Scooter Braun 
is in the music industry, Justin Bieber and Ariana Grande. Yeah, and you know where I'm going with this. I mean, I got to cut you off before you go too uh, deep into it. But my uh, daughter is a huge fan of Justin Bieber. And, uh, and I think she jumped on our call yesterday and she said uh, that, that she wants you to introduce her to uh, Justin Bieber. By the way, Justin Bieber follows her on Twitter. So really? just that's so you know, yeah, yeah, years and years ago. So that, that's, that's a funny fact, but go ahead. Yeah. Just to use the example, I met Scooter and Justin at We Are The World live recording, however long ago that was, that was a long time ago. And the, and the way I got involved in that is Ken Cragen is the co-creator of We Are The World. He used to manage Lionel Richie, Kenny Rogers and a host of others. But the point is, he was at one of my events, and as he was walking out the door, I'm like, hey, how can I help you? By the way, this is the most powerful phrase in the English language. How can I help you? Everyone needs help. Trump needs help getting reelected. Ivan, you know, you might need help on something else. I need, we all need help, right? And yeah. sometimes it's personal, sometimes it's business, sometimes it's charity, sometimes it's politics. It doesn't matter. But going back to Ken Cragen, he's walking out the door, and he says, we're doing We Are the World too. He needs some help. I eventually get involved to help raise money uh, to make strategic introductions for We Are the World. They were nice enough to invite me because I wasn't in the music business to the live recording. But that's how I met Scooter. I've stayed in touch with him for probably at least 15 years. And sometimes it's an introduction. So a year ago, for example, I was at a, a, an investor conference called SALT run by Anthony Scaramucci. And the point is, when I met one of the guys who managed the money for one of the wealthiest people in the world, I said, hey, would there be value you getting introduced to Scooter Braun? And Scooter was the guy on stage and he was like, oh, that'd be awesome. Well, this guy was managing the money for the 10th wealthiest guy in the world. So <laughs> that, that's a value. Yeah. And anyway, so going back to always connecting dots, always adding value. These are part of my principles and strategies, always staying in touch. There's a guy named Emmanuel Kelly, who is a, uh, someone I met, I don't know, four or five years ago, and he's overcome so many obstacles. Um, I, I don't know the right word. I, it's not disabled, um, but he's definitely, he, he's deformed with his arms and his legs, and he's probably under four feet. But the point is, this kid has overcome so many obstacles, and recently, Chris Martin of Coldplay uh, produced one of his songs, and, you know, he did eight. Uh, he did eight songs with Coldplay inside of the last two years with their concerts. And so he was just on the Kelly Clarkson show literally last week. So I made a strategic introduction to Scooter because I think Scooter could take his career to the next level. But again, it's always about adding value, staying in touch and being timely. Here's another perfect example. Um, I saw an article from about Zappos, okay? I'm literally in Vegas right now, and one block away is the Zappos headquarters. Tony Shea, the founder of Zappos, who sold his company to Amazon for north of a billion dollars, has spoken at two of my SANE conferences. So I've known him for well over 10, 15 years. But the point is, they are now going into selling shoes, one shoe at a time, for people that are disabled and or have deformities or whatever the case is. And Emmanuel Kelly, would be like, I think the perfect spokesperson. So I'm gonna reach out to Tony saying, hey, would this be of value, this connection to you and Zappos? Wow. So that's how I'm able to stay in touch, triangulate. It's always about thinking of other people first and serving them.
That's the key. Well, and that, and, and you know, and that and that's a great point, and that's what you did right now, right? You're 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 putting together a billion dollar company, and uh, in in this PPE space, you know, because the supply chain was broken, people couldn't get you know PPE, uh, first responders, et cetera, government companies, everybody. And what is the name of your company? Give First Global. Amazing. See, so that it, it goes back exactly. So you, you do what you say. You do what you preach, right? Uh, you walked the- This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.